Welcome to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast, where we strive to share an authentic interpretation of Mason's life work. We thank you for joining us and hope you enjoy the program. Editor's Note The July 1917 issue of the Parents Review was The Baby Number, dedicated to giving parents guidance for the early years. Charlotte Mason called upon several trusted thinkers and friends to contribute articles discussing activities for children younger than age six when definite lessons should begin. To treat the topic of books for young children, she chose Mrs. V. M. Hood. In 1915, a graduate of the House of Education, class of 1914, was placed with a Mrs. Hood of Midfield, presumably as a governess. We later find Mrs. Hood of Midfield as a committee member of the Edinburgh branch of the PNEU, 1920, and later its chairman, 1925. I think it is likely that this is the V.M. Hood who wrote this piece. If she had hired a governess, she must have had children, so this article probably reflects her own experience infused with the ideals of Charlotte Mason and the PNEU. Reading in the Nursery by V. M. Hood He who plays his music to the stars is standing at your window with his flute. These words from Tagore's book, The Crescent Moon, bring back to us many delightful visions. Golden hours of youth float into our memories from far distant childhood, hours of romance from the age of fairies, hours of thoughts pure and innocent, Weaned thoughts that have taken flight, and have flown we know not whither. Some of these remembered thoughts interpret for us, the mothers of today, many little actions in our own nurseries, which otherwise we would not understand. One of the most persistent thoughts is the remembrance of how a beautiful scene or picture seen in early childhood still lingers in our minds. It is impossible to overestimate the influence everything beautiful has on the unfolding flower of a child's mind. Therefore, it is our duty, as mothers of the coming race, to see that, as far as lies within our power, the minds of our children awaken and develop amid surroundings that will leave upon them an indelible love of beauty in all its various forms. The Greek mothers of old, during the months before their little ones were born, were said to gaze daily upon some beautiful work of art, and we know that the Greeks of those early days reached a very high type of beauty, both in body and mind. It would be well if the mothers of today pondered over this thought and wove it round all their plans for the care and education of their children. Again, we are told that the Jesuits believe impressions made in the early years of a child's life can never be effaced, and that, for good or evil, these impressions are woven into the plastic material of the growing brain. The little flannel or cotton books that are given to baby should be the best you can buy. All small children love brightly colored pictures, but try to see that those you give your baby are of good design and pure color. Many a grown man and woman has suffered cruel disillusionment in later life from finding a book, beloved in early years, to have been an idol with clay feet. As soon as a babe is sufficiently developed to notice and to hold objects, begin to show him a book, preferably of pictures of animals, 
point out to him each animal in turn, telling him its name and making the sound appropriate to the animal. The child will soon imitate you, and although this seems a small matter, yet it is the first turn of the key that opens the gate of Wonderland. In nursery reading, the Bible comes before all other books. As soon as the children are old enough to understand, begin to tell them simply some of the Bible stories. Tell the stories as nearly as possible in the Bible language, and as soon as they can understand, read to them directly from the Bible itself. Little children are deeply interested in the story of creation, of Noah, of the finding of the little baby Moses, and the stories of the childhood of Christ appeal especially to their minds. As they grow older, more stories can be added, because the stories of the Bible in their simple beauty appeal to the soul of the child, and that child's soul reaches out to the high truths that shine through the Bible tales in a way which, to some of us, appears little short of miraculous. We have to remind ourselves constantly of our Lord's words, that it is only the child mind that can enter the kingdom of heaven. It is curious how very early in life children develop a sense of what is simple and true in literature. I know a child who, at the age of five, had a book called Froggy's Little Brother read to her, and who still remembers the uncomfortable feeling which the story awoke in her mind. This child was too young to know what false sentiment meant, but her mind instinctively rejected the unwholesome fare. There are one or two books which, without this failing, are nevertheless quite unsuitable to read to small children. A book about a child is not necessarily adapted to a child's mind, although it may be very much appreciated by older people. I refer especially to a charming book of Mrs. Ewing called Jackanapes, and also to a book of Florence Montgomery's entitled Misunderstood. It seems to me that both these books are written from the grown-up's idea of a child, and, therefore, are enjoyed by older people, but that from the child's point of view, they are too sad. They leave behind them an uncomfortable feeling because they are not really portraying the unconscious, natural life of a child. Mrs. Ewing's Dandelion Clocks and Lob Lie by the Fire are quite different, and I think every child would enjoy them and ought to know them. Winter is the time when most stories are read to the little people, as Robert Louis Stevenson says. Summer fading, winter comes, frosty morning, tingling thumbs, window robins, winter rooks, and the picture storybooks. And again, in another poem, he describes when the lamp is lit, and he plays happily till nurse comes, and he has to return across the sea. And go to bed with backward looks at my dear land of storybooks. Of all the stories of childhood, none are more loved than fairy tales. The old fairy stories that have come down from one generation to another. It is a sad house where the children do not believe in fairies, and a whole world of delight is lost if the little people do not know of, or care for, fairies and fairy stories. Children never tire of Red Riding Hood, of Goldenlocks, of Grimm's fairy tales, and in a lesser degree of Hans Andersen. Many of the folk stories, too, are a great joy. 
Some of Andrew Lang's fairy books are also much appreciated. A Book of More Russian Tales by Maud Valerie Carrick is a favorite with small children and is charmingly illustrated. There is another book of fairy stories called The Glass Mender by Maurice Baring, which children of five years old and upwards like, and it is very prettily illustrated. There is only one fairy tale of today that is loved as the old fairy tales are, and that is Barry's Peter Pan. Peter Pan, with his delightful, whimsical personality, elfish and yet a child, wild and yet gentle. His fairy friend, Tinkerbell, is part of the life of every nursery in our land. Tink appears with the sunshine and dances all over the nursery in her rainbow-colored dress, and she is always hailed with shouts of joy. Barry is one of the few men who has kept the heart of a child and can still see deep into that mysterious region many of us have left so far behind. Among some of the most charming of our illustrated children's books are those of Kate Greenaway, Walter Crane, and Caldecott. Kate Greenaway's delightful pictures of little people, which illustrates her rhymes, are inimitable. Marigold, A Day in a Child's Life, and The Others are books every child should possess. Caldecott books, too, are possessions, and can now be had in quite small volumes of a size little people like to hold because they are tiny. Walter Crane has illustrated many children's books, such as The Three Bears, The Baby's Bouquet, and The Floral Fantasy, to name a few. In The Floral Fantasy, each page shows a different flower, deftly drawn in human form, and a wealth of fanciful imagination it displays must affect the minds of the children who look at it. The whole series of Beatrix Potter's books, too, are a great pleasure to the present generation of little people. The stories about Peter Rabbit, Squirrel Nutkin, and the Pie and Patty Pan, besides many other celebrities of the woods, are told in a charmingly simple way and are admirably illustrated. Two little books, one often comes across, Little Black Mingo and Little Black Sambo, are most attractive. These books were, I think, written and illustrated by an Anglo-Indian lady for her children, and the pictures, though rather primitive, are excellent in their way. There is a large book called Fairyland, which is rather difficult to get nowadays, except in second-hand catalogs. It is illustrated by Dickie Doyle, and the fairy scenes are full of the grace and witchery which children love, and which only Doyle and Sir Noel Payton seem to have had the power to paint in their fairy pictures. Another charming series of books is illustrated by H. Willebeck Lemaire. These are books of songs and nursery rhymes. The latter are published in the small volumes that are so well adapted to children's use. In all these books, I dwell more on the illustrations than on the text. I feel very strongly that in the nursery, it is through illustrations that children get to know and love the stories. That is the reason that mothers cannot be too careful in choosing books with really fine illustrations. There are many of the older nursery books which never can be replaced by modern stories, such as The Parent's Assistant by Maria Edgeworth, and The Fairchild Family by Mrs. Sherwood. 
This latter book has been edited lately by Lady Strachey and made more suitable for the modern child. These stories with morals still appeal to children, and the simple lessons of truth and goodness taught by them are wholesome fare for young minds. There is a book which is most suitable for Sunday reading called The Golden Windows by Laura E. Richards. The stories are a series of simple parables, which children like even when they only half understand their meaning. There is one of these stories my children love so much that I will tell it shortly. It is called A Matter of Importance. It happened one day that the angel who attends to things was hurrying along the street, with his wings tucked in and his robes tucked up. He paused by the palace of a duke. The duke looked out and called him to stop, as he wished to consult the angel about a matter of importance. "'I am in a hurry this morning,' said the angel, "'and cannot attend to your affairs.' And he passed on. "'Dear me,' said the duke, "'I must go and see where he is going.' And he rose and followed the angel. Presently the angel passed by a bishop's palace. The bishop looked out and called to the angel. "'Stop a minute, please. I wish to consult you about the meeting of the synod.' "'I am sorry,' said the angel, "'but I am on business of importance this morning and cannot attend to your little affairs.' And he hurried on. "'Dear me,' said the bishop, "'what can it be that it is so important? I must really go and see.' And he rose and followed the duke and the angel. Then the angel passed by the king's palace, and the king called to him. "'Please come in here and give me your advice, for the enemy is invading my kingdom.' "'By and by,' said the angel, "'I am on business of importance today, and cannot stop for trifles.' The king looked after him. "'It must indeed be something of worldwide importance,' he said, "'if the invasion of my kingdom is a little matter beside it.' And he, too, rose and followed the angel, the duke, and the bishop. At last the angel came to a poor court in a large town. In the center of the court some clothes were drying, and there stood a little child crying as if his heart would break. The angel ran to the child and threw his arms around him. He kissed the child's tears away, saying, "'It is all right, dear. You only took a wrong turning. Here she is.' and he turned and gave the child into the arms of a woman who came running around the corner. The child and the mother seemed to melt together in their joy, and the angel turned to where the duke, the bishop, and the king stood, gazing at the scene with round-eyed astonishment. "'And now,' said the angel, "'I can attend to your little matters.' Stories like this cannot be read too often to a child. We may never see the result— but the little seed will take root and grow one day into a great tree, a tree that may be for the healing of the nations. He who realizes that in children lies the future of the race can never build too high, though he knows many generations will pass before the builders are even in sight of the copying stone. There are several books about animals which are not only interesting, but have a great influence on a child's attitude towards animals. Many children are naturally kind and gentle to animals, 
but often, from want of thought, children do not realize how quite dependent their little friends, the dog and cat, are, nor yet how delightful it is to make the acquaintance of our little brown brothers, the sparrows. There is quite an old book called Black Beauty by Sewell, which ought to be in every nursery. It is the story of the life of a horse, told with wonderful perception, and cannot fail to touch the heart of any child, and to make it think kindly and considerately of this dumb friend of man. The story of The Little Red Deer, a tale of the Devonshire Moors, is full, too, of the love of nature and of all the wonders of nature's life. Some of the Ernest Seton Thompson's books are too old for the little nursery reader, but the biography of a grizzly is simple and will be enjoyed by most little folk of five years old and upwards. There are so many books for children that it is difficult to pick and choose, but one or two of the older books like Stumps, Little Lord Fauntleroy, and Sarah Crewe are too good not to possess. Then there is that lovely tale by Francis Crompton called The Gentle Heritage, full of beautiful, helpful thoughts woven so deftly into the story that the child absorbs them quite unconsciously. The Secret Garden by Francis Hodges Burnett, the author of The Little Lord Fauntleroy and Sarah Crewe, is also a book that should be on the nursery bookshelf. No nursery is complete without Robert Louis Stevenson's A Child's Garden of Verses. No poet has ever written for children quite as he did, perhaps because no poet has understood, or shall I say remembered, his childhood like Robert Louis Stevenson did. There is, however, another poet of today who has written a book of verse for children that some critics consider almost equal to the poems of Robert Louis Stevenson. His name is Walter de la Mare, and his book is called Peacock Pie. I would like to quote one charming little poem from it, which I think does not fall short of Robert Louis Stevenson at his best. It is called The Window. Behind the blinds I sit and watch, the people passing, passing by, and not a single one can see my tiny watching eye. They cannot see my little room, all yellowed with the shaded sun. They do not even know I'm here, nor all guess when I am gone. Many of Stevenson's poems are set to music, and although songs, I think, cannot strictly be said to come under the heading of reading in the nursery, I should like to suggest that good music, like good art, should find its way into every nursery. Little children should be taught to sing the old nursery rhymes and many of the folk songs of England, Scotland, and Ireland. These songs appeal to little people, and poetry reaches their souls through music, just as the meaning of what they read reaches their minds through the medium of pictures. The best music, the best art, should be used to help children to come to the realization of what is best in literature. Literature, art, music, all three can begin to be learned in the nursery. All three are a great possession, a possession for life. When the clouds of life drift about your children, these three will lead them through the mists to the mountaintops, and there they will find that the sun they have thought obscured is always shining in the eternal heavens.
If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to the Charlotte Mason Poetry Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the program.